Welcome to the Money School Podcast for December 29th, 2020. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Hope your week is off to a great start. Um, There's a lot going on with Bitcoin right now, and I've gotten a ton of questions from people that have questions about it and what my thoughts are about just some things that are in the news, and I wanted to kind of break everything down, my thoughts on Bitcoin, how I view it all, um, and then also responding to you know just some of those headlines and what's happening, not just with Bitcoin, but all the currencies and debt, um, monetary policy, fiscal policy around the world, what's happening and why this is happening, and just how um, I interpret all of this stuff and my two cents. I'm recording this just after nine on the West Coast on Tuesday night, the 29th. And within the last hour, Bitcoin has hit all-time highs above 28,000, which is going to continue to make huge headlines and bring up a lot of mainstream news. And I think that people need to really understand the difference of the previous parabolic run and collapse and what's happening now, the key differences, and just how to kind of parse all the different things. A bunch of people have a lot of opinions about it. Um one thing that I will say right now is anybody that's telling you to buy Bitcoin right now that wasn't telling you to buy it seven months ago or eight months ago, just they're not somebody you should listen to on the topic. And I'm not telling you to buy Bitcoin or do anything with Bitcoin. I'm just going to give my opinion about it. Um, but generally speaking, people that are in the know that really understand Bitcoin that can explain it to you in a way that will make you want to purchase it have understood the value proposition far longer than when it was at all-time highs. It's the same thing with the stock market. Um, But just be really careful with um, who you're listening to in regards to there's a lot of new money and a lot of new players at the money manager level, the institutional level that are starting to pile into Bitcoin. And you're going to see headlines. If you follow it, you already see a ton of headlines from people that really don't know what they're talking about. So just be careful with what you're seeing. You know, Obviously, read as much as you can on the subject. I think it's fascinating. Um, there's a ton going on, not just with Bitcoin, but with the dollar, currencies around the world, the Ant Financial and Alipay, um, the situation that's happening with China with their cryptocurrency that they're launching at the state level. There's just a ton happening. And I think that people need to be paying attention because it has a lot to do with their money um, and just fiat currency around the world. So from the top, I just want to explain what I think Bitcoin is, what its purpose is, and why the demand for it continues to surge. Um, I don't want to get into the blockchain or the creation of it. Um, There's a lot of other places where you can go and and read up or watch up on, on all of that stuff, but I want to explain how I view it and why I think the world has assigned it value. And that starts with, it's a decentralized software that works really great for currency. And the use case of Bitcoin has been adopted and grown and the decentralized nature of it as a currency versus a central bank that issues the money, um, like the Federal Reserve or the European Central Bank or the Bank of Japan. And Bitcoin is the anti-central bank. 
solution to currency. So with the decentralization that the blockchain and cryptocurrency is is built on, that software that is perfect for this type of transaction that makes it genuine and keeps the integrity of the entire system intact. And then you have the defined supply of the final amount that there will be unleashed. There's, I don't want to go into the technical side, but the amount of final Bitcoins that will exist is finite. So it's not like currency that they will continue to print and print and print, which is what people are nervous about. And Bitcoin philosophically to me is just, it's an implicit crying out of people that are worried about government spending and deficits and the debt with numbers that are so big they don't can't wrap their heads around anymore 20 trillion 21 trillion 22 trillion now 26 27 trillion with another trillion and 2 trillion on the way and we start getting to numbers that people can't process and i think we've been past that for quite a bit of time i mean my whole life i'm you know I've never experienced a time where people weren't worried about how much debt there is and how much money we owe and who we owe that money to and all of those things. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, people are concerned. The average person is concerned with the debt that our country has. They're not thinking about how much debt the whole world has because they would be even more panicked. But just at the United States level, the average person, if you ask them, no matter, you know, any adult, are you, do you think it's a good thing how much debt we have? They'll all say no. They'll all, like, th- th- nobody will, will be able to give you a thesis outside of, you know, modern monetary policy or theory of the entire pie growing. You get to these these theoretical arguments about how it could potentially not be an issue. The average person does not buy into complex theories and they think that having an an amount of debt that we will never, ever, ever be able to pay back in any reasonable way is deeply concerning. And the inherent fear of that failing is expressing itself in the demand for precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, which are the, you know, the only metals that are really hard enough to, to work as currency long-term, which is why they've been minted as much. And there's other metals that have, have done well, that have other applications, that have other demands driving them. But those precious metals are really what store the value of fiat currency. And it's not gold, like gold itself, the whole size of gold and all the value of gold is not large enough or portable enough to scale for the size of economy that we've had for the last 50 years, which is why we went to fiat to begin with. But that experiment has gotten so far out of control. And now with coronavirus and with every crisis that we have at the government level, we're just going to have a huge spending bill 
and tack on more debt because interest rates are low and the dollar is, you know, very weak, that makes people nervous. And people are looking for a solution to the money that we use to transact between each other that's not as, like, the tools that we can use with fiscal and monetary policy can fix all of this if there weren't politics involved. But the politics will always push those people that are making those decisions to make political decisions and not academic ones. And the reality is, is that we need to be able to endure a lot more pain as a society economically if we are going to get off of this debt system that we're on. Because no matter what, you know, if I think people should get stimulus checks and I believe that if we're going to stimulate the economy, it's a trickle-up situation where we just need to do direct payments to people because they will save it, invest it, or spend it. And the velocity of that will be fast and it will stimulate what we need to get done. I think that's the way to do it. I don't like these PPP loans as much. And we create this constant moral hazard where every time that there's a major issue or crisis, we're just going to print money to fix it. And until as a society we say we're not going to do that, we're going to keep printing money to fix every problem. And I, people around the world are experiencing this in their relative currencies. And they want a currency that's outside of that system that we can essentially escape to. And while this is a global crisis that impacts every currency around the world, the U.S. dollar and the Chinese yuan and what is happening just with the Bank of China, China and the United States are going to lead on the policy that will shape the way that money works for the next hundred years. Um, Outside of that, who knows? So I'll get to China and what they're doing next. There's a couple of things that I want to touch on before I get into that. The devaluation of the dollar and what makes a Bitcoin transaction different than just using digital cash or a digital e-wallet. And the difference being the embedded information that a blockchain contract or a cryptocurrency, I think people need to be really careful about the inherent privacy that they think crypto has. The nature of cryptocurrency itself has the ability to have more data embedded in the transaction itself which allows for deeper analytics and tracking and less autonomy and less privacy. Think about if you're going to do something illegal and you are going to do that in cash versus doing it on your debit card. Um, You're not going to buy drugs with your visa. Um, You're going to use cash that's outside of that. And as we evolve into a cashless society, there's going to be more data attached to transactions. When you, you know, 
buy a sofa off of Facebook and you go to somebody's house and you pay them cash, there's no receipt or record of that. In the future, your peer-to-peer payment is going to have a deeper record and less of it will be off of the grid or outside of scrutiny. So there's a lot of reasons why people are concerned about, you know, on the conspiracy side of the invasion of privacy that both a cashless society and a carless society, which go hand in hand more than people think. Um, and that we'll, we'll touch on that when we, we go to the what's happening in China. But the devaluation of the dollar is another kind of foundational part that I want to make sure people understand um, when they're looking at what what happens when the dollar is weak relative to, to other currencies. The dollar index is an index of the dollar strength versus six major currencies around the world. The, fris, the Swiss franc, the Swedish krona, the euro, the pound, uh, and the yen, and the Canadian dollar. And then the US dollar is in there. If you look at the chart of that, I mean, we're going off of a cliff and that basically is a proxy for what's happening in Congress and for stimulus packages. And the expectation of more money printing at the United States federal government level continues to push our currency down relative to other currencies, while at the same time Brexit is finalizing, um, you know, as the vaccine is being distributed around the world, different central banks handled this differently and printed more or less money. And I think the currency pairs of all of the different central banks against each other is somewhat fascinating. But what's hugely fascinating is how all of them have poured into Bitcoin as the anti-fiat currency. And with the weakening of the dollar, there's a couple ways to look at a huge run in Bitcoin. Bitcoin from today's date, five years ago, was $420. So from $420 to $28,000, you can look at it as that's a huge growth in the amount of the value of Bitcoin, as in represented in dollars. If you switch that around, the US dollar has lost 98.5% of its value against Bitcoin in the last five years. That has to be hugely concerning to people if this is a real phenomena, which is I'll let people decide if they think it's real or not. But as this continues to materialize, it really is threatening the entire fiat currency central bank system, which is why what's happening in China is just is so interesting and fascinating to me because they're taking a slightly different approach, but the Federal Reserve in the United States Treasury and the government in China are facing the exact same problem over if their currency will be replaced by 
a outside currency or if their fiat currency will be able to be sustained into the future and become and remain viable. As far as just Bitcoin goes, whenever there's a complex idea, you're going to have a lot of different ideas that are going to fuel the demand one way or the other. Um, so there's not one thing that's driving the speculation side of things. People always want to get rich quick whenever there is something moving as fast as Bitcoin's moving right now, people are going to be excited about that. A lot of people, you know, have, I, I know that there's a lot of people that are nervous about Bitcoin now that it's back to the point and above where it crashed last time. A lot of people bought at the highs and lost money. Um, so there's a lot of things psychologically with Bitcoin in particular that people are battling through and changing. Ultimately, I think, the biggest driving factor for the demand for Bitcoin is just the demand to exchange fiat currency for non-fiat currency. Uh, that's also the reason that fuels the demand for gold and silver. People wanting to exchange fiat currencies into non-fiat stores of value or currencies. So um, that's the primary driver. And one of the things that we're seeing now versus the first time around the 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 bitcoin rally won i mean i don't know what what else to call it but the main surge that went to 18 19000 a few years ago coincided when they just released all of the wall street options products the futures on on bitcoin all of the etfs had a ton of issues being able to get set up and get approved that's all gone now so now there's a ton of institutional money where they're gambling or investing or however you want to look at it, not their money. And there's vehicles for people to very simply get into an ETF that trades crypto for them on the stock market um, and futures are accessible. And we're seeing a ton of institutional money essentially borrow fiat currency at low rates and invest it in crypto which that's concerning. I mean, that works until it doesn't work, creates huge liquidity issues potentially. Um, but that's what, what they're doing. I mean, the institutional push into Bitcoin is real and they're driving huge trades. And then you have you know, the euphoria around the speculation that's driving the marginal investors or, or people that want to participate and the technology through Cash App and PayPal and Coinbase is all excellent. It's really easy to get involved if you want to do it. And again, that's even better than it was in 2017, 2018 when it went on its last run. So I expect this to continue to, to go from here. Um, just looking at the devaluation of the dollar itself versus the currencies around the world, since I think there's... Two major points. I mean, I'm always going to look in one-year periods, but then also since a defined date of central bank action, so March 23rd when the Fed announced their bailout, you can always look back to, to see you know, what new normal has that situation created. And then also the election. There's been a ton that's happened, and you know those policies that we're voting on implicitly with you know, different races in the election are going to impact the way that taxation and, you know, just monetary policy is, is perceived to, to play out. 
So it's interesting to look at how, you know, from those key timeframes. So going back a year, I mean, the only currency that the dollar has done, has appreciated against is the yen. And if you look at it against the euro, it's down 11%. Against the British pound, it's down 11%. Against the Swiss, Swiss franc, it's down 11%. Against gold, it's down 32%. And against silver, it's down 60%. So there's huge moves in, you know, 11% in a currency is a big move in a currency. It's a big currency headwind or, or tailwind depending on import or export or the nature of the business. But as far as currency moves, that's a big currency move and a big softening of the US dollar. Um, and a good bid in gold and silver, which have had great years. And then, um, you know, interest rates continue to be lower, but have crept up since, you know, the 10 years since the election has has done pretty well. And we've seen a steepening of the spread between two-year debt and tens. And a bigger steepening between uh, 10s and 30s, 2s and 30s. Um, so some of the longer duration debt has done okay. But against Bitcoin, the dollar has done terrible and all of the other currencies have done terrible. Um, if you look at, theoretically, if Bitcoin is the reserve currency of the world, which it's nowhere near the size that it would need to be in order for that to be the case. But even in these terms now, um, representing a barrel of oil in Bitcoin, uh, maybe that commodity is just worth a lot less than people think it is because it's being valued in fiat currency that's worth less than people, you know, maybe that's just theoretical. Um, if that's the case, then if you look at the balance sheets of all these huge companies, you know, if they're really only worth $2.4 trillion because so much cash has been created. Um, representing them in terms of Bitcoin is an interesting cross to kind of look at the scale. Um, you know, another thing going back to five years from today, um, on an adjusted basis, Tesla was trading at $42 a share and Bitcoin was $420. So Tesla was trading at, you know, for one Bitcoin, you could buy 10 shares of Tesla. And now today, as we stand, one Bitcoin buys you 42 shares of Tesla. So it's not just the currency that is continuing to be devalued. It's also assets like stock where, you know, think about what Tesla stock would be worth if they didn't continue to issue new debt. They just sold $5 billion of new issues into this S&P inclusion. That's one of the reasons why the stock didn't pop as much. That's why people want a solution like Bitcoin that doesn't have the ability to just issue new um, you know, shares essentially without clarity and a set process of how it's done. So there's inflation even in the two most parabolic things that people invest in or touch financially, Bitcoin and Tesla, Tesla has made people millionaires, and so has Bitcoin in a, you know, it's a harder to, to tax way. But even with Tesla's huge run and their stock split and all the value that they've gone from a $60 billion to a $600 billion company, and they're going to continue to keep growing, 
and they're a great company. But if you look at the value of their company in terms of dollars versus Bitcoin, they're also inflating at a pretty crazy clip. I also think it's interesting to look at gold in terms of Bitcoin or Bitcoin in terms of gold and substituting the US dollar out of it to get a different cross-section or snapshot of how they're all working against each other. And going back, um, the Tesla example was a five-year example. Going back four years, um, I don't know why when I was doing the math, I went back four and not five. But um, going back four years with, um, with gold and Bitcoin, four years ago, you could buy 1.2 ounces of gold with a Bitcoin. And right now, as it's, it's moving around because Bitcoin's surging. But at 28,000... Bitcoin can buy you roughly 14 ounces, 15 ounces of gold, 14 and a half. There's a premium in actually buying the gold, but going off of the futures or going off of what you can actually buy gold for, which is another issue. Um, the friction around actually buying physical metals is just too much to actually be a for a functioning economy to for commerce in you know the 21st century to to take place and to continue to grow. Um, it just doesn't make sense, but the premiums around actually buying physical um, are still significant. But in four years, going from being able to buy essentially one ounce of gold to being able to buy 15 ounces of gold shows that um, there's just, there is at these levels where Bitcoin is at now, there's just, um, we're starting to hit critical mass in terms of adoption. Um, and the follow through here will really determine the future of what we're doing. I think that with Corona and the actions of continuing to, to push debt onto just, you know, kicking the can more and more and having that be, I don't see how the rest of the world is going to be able to avoid such a thing um, as every political leader wants to be able to keep their stock market index or, their economy rolling so that they don't get thrown out of power. So there's going to continue to be money creation and, and the uh, the swelling of fiat currency around the world. It's going to be interesting to see you know, how gold responds with that and if it can keep up with Bitcoin. And I think that silver is having such a rally because it's more abundant and it's cheaper, it's more, it's a little bit more portable, and the denominations are a little bit more portable. Um, but even the combination of two, eventually when we grow, um, we're going to need a different solution that's not fiat-based. And I'll wrap this up. I know I've been going for a minute, but there's two more things that I want to touch on, and that's how the United States and China are going to take two different approaches towards defending their fiat currency. And ultimately, I think they will work together because, you know, they just are more aligned in their the nature of their debt exchange and, you know, trade exchange and fiat works really nicely. Um, but here's what's going to happen in the United States. They know how many Coinbase and Square and PayPal accounts exist. That data has been leaked. It's been you know, the IRS knows how many accounts, how many people are involved with, uh, you know, with Bitcoin or crypto. And they know how many people are claiming it on their taxes. And there's a huge discrepancy. 
And it's not like whenever you buy something with Bitcoin, you're creating a taxable event. So if you bought it for a thousand and it's at 28,000 and you buy a pizza with it, that portion is creating a taxable event and you're, you owe a, a capital gain on the difference between what you're using. So that taxable event becomes a huge nightmare for the actual usability on a transactional basis, especially for Americans and people um, that, I mean, the adoption has been a little bit more accessible to Wall Street, but it's not widely available. Like you don't go to the store and buy a pizza with Bitcoin. Like five years ago, six years ago, I mean, even a couple of years ago, the thesis for Bitcoin would be you're going to pay your friends in Bitcoin and you're going to, you know, tip people in Bitcoin and you're going to, you're going to do it. You're going to basically use, people are using digital cash through Venmo um, or PayPal or Apple Pay directly and they haven't needed to use Bitcoin and deal with the headache that comes with the taxes. Now with the tax returns starting last year and and really what they're going to scrutinize for this year is on page one, when you file your taxes, it says, you know, do you own any cryptocurrency over the last year? Have you owned any? Have you come into ownership? Have you traded it? Have you made any money off of it? And you have to declare it, how long you've owned it, your ownership periods, and it's going to be a nightmare. And I think they're going to really go after people in the United States that don't declare. I think it's going to trigger a ton of audits. And they're going to send a message to high-profile people that are dealing in Bitcoin that Bitcoin's not welcome here. Because as far as the United States Treasury goes, I mean, they're not, like, it's the biggest existential threat that could possibly exist. They're not going to go down without a fight. The central bank and the Fed is not just going to roll over. They're going to fight it tooth and nail, and they're eventually going to issue their crypto dollar, which will be very hard to explain to any you know lay person what's the difference between me sending you Apple Pay or me sending you Bitcoin. And I think the long-term goal is that the digital currency is ultimately going to be denominated in some type of, of dollar. That's my opinion. What's happening in China is they are making a more aggressive approach to keep control over the currency. So a couple weeks ago, Alibaba, their owner, Jack Ma, they also own Alipay, which is a huge payment processor in all of Asia, specifically in China, but all of Asia. And Tencent has uh, WePay or WeChat Pay. And Jack Ma also owns Ant Financial. And Ant does micro lending and peer-to-peer finance and all sorts of type of essentially distribution. When we get down to it, we're talking about the distribution of wealth and the distribution of everybody's share of the pie. And a more effective way to do that. Technology is going to be the solution to do that. So denominate, you know, distributing welfare and distributing, you know, cash to 
citizens when necessary or however, or even paying taxes should all be through a digital system that's connected. What's happening now, um, a few weeks ago, Ant Financial was set to go public. Jack Ma made some comments about revolution and empowering people with peer-to-peer finance and by allowing people upward mobility through you know, financial empowerment and having those tools. And that it, he landed himself in front of uh, the regulators immediately, and they've essentially shut down the entire situation. It was going to be the biggest IPO in the history of the world, and it wasn't going to. It was going to be mostly led not in the United. It was uh, not in the United States with IPO, and that was going to be a huge win for all of China. But Jack Ma made comments about the leadership in China and about the revolution that comes with essentially providing financial access and upward mobility. They halted the IPO. They've then, since then, had huge regulation, where they've basically destroyed the operating capacity of Ant Financial while simultaneously issuing their own cryptocurrency in two different markets as a test. It's the digital yuan, um, and they essentially what they did is they did a lottery with a couple million U.S. dollar equivalent, and they gave um, essentially a few hundred thousand people two hundred bucks, um, little a little bit more on the exchange, but it wasn't a ton of money, but it was enough that they would be able to spend it through this digital wallet. And with it, they are able to track the velocity of that money, where it gets spent, how it gets spent. And a big part of that is, I mean, 20% of it within one day was spent on Alibaba or JD.com um, or Didi, which is a ride sharing. Uh, it's like their, it's like Chinese Uber. So their test experiment is we're going to give you this cash that we can totally trace. And in your digital wallet, if you take a picture of the currency bill, it'll like it uploads it to your wallet. So it's they're eventually it's eventually digitizing all of the money and taking the physical currency out of circulation and digitizing it fully. I think we're going to get an adoption of that sort in the United States as well where you're you're going there's going to be a, a digital dollar that is is in this same type of crypto lane if people want crypto i don't i don't think the united states is going to be warm towards bitcoin ever um and i don't think china will be either i think it will exist outside of them like it does now um but there will be tools implemented to make it a nightmare. And I think that will mostly be audits and tax in the United States. And then in China, um, you know, there's obviously different consequences. Um, and the internet, their internet is different there. Um, but they're taking a really aggressive approach to not only force out other digital payments, but to actually be better. So... The two differences between like Alipay and the Chinese crypto yuan that they released is that the crypto 
can be used just touching your device phone to phone with no internet, which is still huge in a you know country like China where there's a lot of merchants and places that don't have great Wi-Fi or cell. And to be able to just transact without that, without an internet connection is a huge advantage versus the other payment processors or credit processors, essentially, you know, the commercial banks that process payments and get a fee. And there's no fee to the, there's no transaction fee. So you don't need internet and there's no fee. So they're basically subsidizing the transaction cost to, ins- to, to get people to use that currency and adopt it. And what a lot of people, I mean, the initial feedback, you know, coming through Wall Street Journal and some, you know, who knows what the actual feedback is, but I, it's not far-fetched to me that it was actually people preferred a crypto cur- or a digital currency, but that it was backed by the state and that they didn't have to worry about using it. And I think if we got something like that in the United States where you could just take a picture of your $100 bill and it read the serial number and it put it into that account, um, there's going to be something that happens like that. Um, these These stimulus checks that get distributed are going to be they went from checks to wire direct deposits to they will go to a e-wallet di- digital distribution, some type of crypto dollar. And the crypto dollar in the United States might start as social security um, and payments for basic goods, EBT. It might just be an expansion of that um, that formalizes. I think there's a pretty good chance that there will be stimulus payments that won't be made in actual cash. They'll be made in cash that will go directly to your e-wallet on your phone and everything that you spend that money on will be tracked. I think that will be phase one of the U.S. crypto dollar. And if the Chinese government is giving away money in two different cities and that pilot program is working great, and they can track what you're spending money on, and people are getting free money to spend, that's a, that's a recipe for adoption that I think is the future in terms of what these state responses will be. So there's a lot there. I went for a long time. I, uh, I'm going to keep checking, and there's a lot more stock-wise as we wrap up the rest of this year. And as we get into 2021, but I've gotten a ton of questions about Bitcoin, Russell Okung taking his half of his paycheck in Bitcoin. I think that's great. I want to see logistically if they're actually delivering it to him in Bitcoin or if he's just getting paid that and his people are buying that much of Bitcoin. Um, Cause that's, I mean, fine, cool. Um, I'm really mostly curious about how the IRS handles this situation. And, you know, I personally think Donald Trump is somebody that has pushed every tax law to the limit for the better part of 40 years and didn't really want a fully operational IRS. And we'll leave it at that. But I think that 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 is over. I think that 
Joe Biden's going to hop into office and they're going to turn the lights on at the IRS and the EPA and all these places that they've just basically shut, shut down for four years. And they're going to start going after folks and they're going to make examples out of people and they're going to try to scare people shitless if for holding Bitcoin or doing even touching it. Um, and I think they'll make that message loud and clear while simultaneously saying, you know, adopt this U.S. digital wallet and we'll give you some free money for you to spend on groceries or whatever. So we'll see how it plays out. Let me know what you think about Bitcoin. It's one. It's the number... Bitcoin and Tesla are the two things that everybody in the money school, I mean, has some level of interest in and I get questions on and what I think about things. So that's why I wanted to go a little bit longer, a little bit more in depth. It's a complex topic that has a lot going into it. Um, I personally have, I started being involved in Bitcoin around $80 of Bitcoin um, and it took on and off in interest up through the last run and actually cashed out at a pretty decent time, um, allegedly. Um, that's, that's not allegedly. I did that and did everything normal. See, this is the problem with Bitcoin. Nobody can, fuck, nobody can even talk about what's legit happening with it. You dabble with it and you create a nightmare. Um, but yeah, um, I've had the timing of Bitcoin go for me and against me uh, and we'll continue to, to to see how that works out. I don't even want to talk about my personal experience, but I've watched it come and I've watched it go. To watch it surge back like this is fascinating, but it mostly concerns me um, of these other implications that I wanted to share because I think that it's not all positive. Um, that it's going up and, and behaving the way that it is behaving. So um, we'll leave it at that. Hope you have a good rest of your week, a great night, and I'll talk to you guys soon.